Welcome to Audio Gyan with Kedar Nimkar, a podcast that documents insightful conversations with Indian designers, artists, musicians, writers, thinkers, and creatives of all types. Here's your host, Kedar Nimkar. Daniel Kahneman, in his book Thinking Fast and Slow, mentions that people are innately irrational when it comes to making decisions. Same goes with how they consume everyday products. In the book Design of Everyday Things, Don Norman speaks about how people blame themselves if they are not able to pull the drawer, rather than blaming the designer. Well, there definitely seems to be a pattern, and let's explore a few of them, and more importantly, a designer's role in this entire scheme of things. Being a digital product designer myself, I have few insights, but to know more today, I have Navneet Nair with us on Audio Gyan. Navneet is head of design at PhonePay. For over last two decades, he has been an hands-on practitioner of design and user-focused creative arts. Navneet has worked in both individual contributor roles and leadership positions at startups and established companies like Yahoo and Google. So, yeah, thank you, Navneet, for giving your time. It's a real pleasure to have you on Audio Gyan. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kedar. So, uh, the entire conversation or the premise uh, of uh, this discussion is about value-centered design, which you have. uh quite extensively written about spoken at multiple places uh so i wanted to just capture that and uh, slightly deep dive into your understanding and being a designer like have sort of a uh heart to heart conversation with respect to where uh, what role is design playing in this startup ecosystem uh, when it comes to digital products absolutely would love to talk about that superb So uh yeah I, like I've come up with few questions and I'll start off uh, by asking like what's your reading how big or small role does design play uh in the in the landscape of the startup world which India is facing Yeah interesting question so before that I know you know I would like to ask you a question myself uh you know we should ask ourselves uh, when we talk about startups are we playing football or are we playing basketball if you, are you considering like pan world concept or are you considering us no, actually i'm just asking this in the concept of there are there are two types of games so there is a there is a game of football mm-hmm. uh which is primarily a weak link game okay. and uh, there is basketball on the other hand and there is a fundamental difference between the two now let's say you are a football team and you want to improve a football team uh what would you do would you improve your best player or would you improve the worst player uh improve the best player actually no in football what you need to do is you need to improve the worst player so what okay. happens in football is that you know to hit a goal you need to take about what seven eight passes and you might have like seven good passes but the eighth one might just not work work out and you might not be able to hit a goal and that eighth pass has gone to the worst player in the team so what happens is that they have done run simulations and what they found is is that let's say you improve your best player by 5% so they have a percentile rank, ranking you by a 5 percentile point you improve your best player you might at the most get a 3% lift but if you do the same thing for your worst ranked player say your worst ranked player is 35th percentile and you get them to something like a 40th percentile or a 41st percentile you will see a 30% lift in uh, your efficiency in your in your goals that are scored in the points that are scored so football is a weak link game your team is only as strong as its weakest link on the other hand basketball is the complete opposite 
so in basketball you could have one jo- uh, magic jordan or one lebron and that that player can carry the entire game for you so when you mm-hmm. want to improve your basketball team you improve the strongest player mm-hmm. so quite- in that in that mm-hmm. context actually startups are weakling games so the reason i say that is that supposing you have a great technology team and you have a great uh sales team but you don't have a great design team you don't have a great marketing team your startup is fa- very likely not to succeed the same thing uh even if you have a great design team but you don't have a great technology team or you don't have a great marketing team again it's the same result so when you want to do the uh, improve a startup think of it like a weak link game. you need to improve the weakest uh function in your uh, in your uh, startup and start improving it now if design is the weakest function in your, in your startup you definitely need to improve it but if you have a strong design team adding more strong designers to it will not help you much so when we look at design and how important design is in the startup world we need to think little differently it it really depends on what state your startup or your company is so just by having a great team of designers working on something that is really out of the world uh, but not having somebody to implement it is i mean fairly logical it doesn't work but let's say you find somebody to implement it but it's not such a great product that you have built the product will not do well in the market so when you look at startups you have to think holistically you cannot think uh think in silos you can't think like oh designers are really important i need to have designers over there but today what happens is that in most startups you know there is a uh, the the whole startup ecosystem instead of going after building products that will last for a long time what they are running after is uh getting funding funding is the end game of uh, the entire uh game that we are playing out here so basically it is a funding game so what happens is that you uh, are basically trying to fill up a checkbox that says uh, you know i have this designer in my team and that's that's about it but what we need to ask is uh, within design itself what what is what is good design i mean is it good visual design uh, or is it something else is it good interaction design or is it good overall uh, experience part of it over, yeah. yes so good design is a combination of both aesthetics and experience so inside design itself we have the whole concept of weak link strong link you cannot have something that is more pivoted towards visual design and say i don't care so much about uh, the experience i do not care so much about the interactions i do not care about uh, usability as long as i have a, i have a sexy looking app all the other way around saying that oh no i have to make made sure that it is the most easy to use app but it looks like crap it doesn't work you need to have that holistic view so in all when we look at it the role of design has to be viewed from the point of view of where you are as a startup and what is it that you need to augment as a startup and how you need to fill in those gaps and this changes in uh, the way that you uh, that your startup also progresses so at one point of time you may find that okay there is a certain kind of level that uh, importance that design may f- may bring and maybe that the best designer to get in at that point 
might be somebody who is heavy on user research or interaction design. But then as you move up, you may find that, oh, I need to improve the amount of delight that I want to get in. Then you want to add visual design as a thing. So we need to be very pragmatic about how we look at design and at what stage we need to bring in designers and what type of designers to bring. Very beautifully put. I mean, yeah, this is a different perspective. I mean, it's, it's somewhere after 12, 15 years of experience, you gain those insights, but uh, the way you have articulated or, or just put in context just gives uh, a very a simple approach to it. Are there any, uh, I would say, any benchmark or any thumb rules to follow in this case? Uh, if Because you have been hiring for quite some time now. So yeah. um, are there any insights there? So in terms of uh, thumb rules, I think very uh, specifically, the one thumb rule that you uh, want to follow is always hire the best talent that is available within your, uh, within the type of talent that you can uh, hmm. get it. So if you have got, uh, but isn't five... it a vicious cycle? Uh, sorry to interrupt, but, uh, this I've, I've experienced in multiple places that initially your product is not, um, appealing, uh, to, to the designer market in the, in the country, like from people from NID and different design schools, uh, they are, they have some aspiration like I will go to Netflix or I'll go to whatever. Swiggy and other places. Now the product itself is good, but when it comes to a startup, you really don't have that exposure or that reach to excite an upcoming designer. So it, it yes. becomes like I a think, cycle. Which is where uh, design leaders come in. So a design leader uh, is somebody who is probably able to attract the right kind of talent for you. Now, if you are able to convince a design leader to agree into your vision and the leader at whatever level uh, is able to come in and make a difference. Now that, like you're saying, it's a vicious circle. The moment you, you start seeing effects around it, you start attracting more and more talent along with it. So the question is to say, okay, who is that? So the leader sort of plays the role of a social media influencer. It, they come in and say that, Yes, this is a company, this is a startup that I vouch for. And uh, once that is done, there is a certain uh, image that gets changed for that particular startup. And you are able to then attract more talent. You are absolutely right that, you know, getting uh, the talent is definitely a problem. But at the same time, when I'm saying talent uh, that I'm looking for, it need not be somebody who is like this uh, designer who has got five years of experience working with some of the best people. And that is the most talented designer. What you're looking for is raw talent a lot of time. And it really depends on uh, how you can get them into the system and how you can get them to perform. Here again, it's very important to have somebody who can recognize raw talent and uh, get them to perform within the, within the team. So it, it is definitely very important when you are starting off uh, hiring, hiring the, the correct leader who can then bring in the right amount of talent is definitely important. You know, when, but when you're starting off, you might uh, fi find, okay, really there is no, nobody that I can hire as a design leader because that is also a role that is uh, not easy to, easy to fill in. 
you may at that point uh, bring in an absolutely talented designer on board and getting a so like i said uh, it is all about uh, getting the talent density now this is something that is uh, you know if if uh, netflix talks a lot about they talk about mm-hmm. talent density and talent density doesn't mean that you need to have like uh, 10 grade 15 grade 25 grade designers even if you have five grade designers those five are really good designers so it means about managing that density of really good people around you it's a difficult it's a, it's not an easy thing to do uh, but i think if you can achieve it that's a, that's a great thing to achieve yeah yeah in fact i would like to borrow one phrase which kunal shah mentioned in uh, one of the podcasts uh, that don't be like a logo collector uh, in the initial years of your life uh like look for the right designer and get mentored get guidance under that particular designer rather than just collecting logos so Absolutely. i think what yeah what you are saying is also uh on the similar lines that uh, you you first try and work with the right set of people uh, probably like a good design leader uh, get get some understanding and then probably switch jobs <laughs> yeah so it is it is absolutely important uh, for younger designers who are moving up uh, exactly what kunal said mm. uh, in sense of uh, it is absolutely important who you work with than where you work because who you work with will determine the entire trajectory of your career uh, rather than the where you work which is pro- probably going to be there on your resume might get you a step into uh, a particular interview but it's not going to determine how you will perform at that particular workplace because that is what matters most whereas okay. working with the right people will help you in their in your entire career trajectory by making the right by you it will uh, change your thinking itself so you will be thinking in a different kind of a way so true so true <laughs> so I'll, i'll shift gears a bit and we uh, like i initially spoke about the irrational user Uh, you have spoken uh, a, a bit about it. You have also written articles. So, can you tell us uh, what what the thought behind is uh, behind this irrational user, and then how does design as a concept um, enable you to to cater to this user? Yeah. So, uh, I think this is something that is uh, being talked about a lot uh, in the past few years you know daniel kahneman has talked about it dan arari has talked about it uh, richard taylor talks about it uh, and this whole field of behavioral economics is something that is coming up and making a lot of difference in the way people approach uh, designing not just designing but building products itself so uh, the the whole idea being that uh, human beings don't necessarily think rationally when we used to think about economics economics used to have this concept uh, saying that a man makes a rational decision and based on that they will choose to make sure that they have the highest uh, profits and avoid uh, losses as much as possible okay. now that was with uh, more like the group uh, herd mentality and that was the assumption when they moved down to individual level it was quite a different discovery it was absolutely different so what happens is that you you would think that yes on a uh, global pattern basis you might see certain patterns playing out but individually people just performed absolutely differently and behavioral economics actually uh, 
latches onto some of the individual irrationality so we so to speak and then uses to that can be used to amplify the actual results that come out of uh, that is one part of it the other part of it is that people on a general sense can think rationally within the amount of uh, uh, parameters that they they are privy to for example i know a b c d and i can make a rational decision only on the basis of a b c d that i know but there is e f g h which i don't know and i have no way of incorporating that into my model most people when they think about making a rational decision they are making a rational decision only on the basis of things that they understand this is called bounded rationality now when we look at designing most designers also have a sort of a bounded rationality that they work within they say okay i think the user will do a b c d and based on that i will make my design usually uh, in design talk what we talk about is this is a happy flow for user saying that uh, the user will do a b c d and i assume that most people are going to do that and i design the system to work for the happy flow and i'm fine with it i think i have completed my work but when you put this out into the real world it completely breaks because people don't have happy flows because human beings are innately complex beings we have a lot of things going on not just in our mind but also just in the way our emotions work the way our motivations work all of it work so as designers we need to step back and appreciate this com- complexity and most most of all we need to appreciate that human beings are not rational but they are fa- fundamentally irrational so there are a lot of these biases that today we speak of i mean there is cognitive biases uh, there are a lot of a bunch of stuff that uh, richard thaler p- puts uh, in some of his books and uh, there is this book art of clear thinking which is also a great book that very quickly puts in all of these uh, uh, art of thinking clearly i think that is the name of the book it's it puts all of this uh, into a very nice format where you can just go refer it and you have all of the cognitive biases uh, uh, arranged fairly well uh, i think as designers we need to start appreciating this a lot more and start instead of thinking of users as a persona so you know the, the whole idea of building a persona that uh, most people just sit down and write oh, th- this is my user persona and i feel that uh, this is how my user will behave and they expect that every um, 100000 of their users or even like uh, 1 million of their users are going to behave exactly the same way it just does not work like that so uh, as you as designers we should start appreciating the whole uh, area of uh, behavioral economics a lot more and start incorporating some lessons from there into our designs as well hmm. but then how does the 80 20 rule kick in because that will conflict this behavior right i mean this approach the 80 20 rule is basically saying that uh, you have 20% of the users who kind of do uh, random stuff yeah. yeah yeah correct but at the same time what happens is that it doesn't mean that out of 100 20 people are irrational or 20 people are rational in fact this this level of irrationality is present in all of us we all have that irrationality within us so even if you take that we, to assume that 
only 20% of our uh, users are going to be irrational or the other way around that only 20% are going, going to be rational is also not true the level of irrationality is present in all of us it it is a innate human tendency to react to certain things in certain kinds of ways it could be for example just what is going on in the world today where the media is making the best use of use of all the uh, things that we are seeing around us we believe in a certain kind of politics and when we see things going the other way around we reify our own belief we say no no what we are what we think is right and that is called cognitive dissonance now cognitive dissonance is not the uh, not only that the right wing is cognitive dissonance and or left wing is cognitive dissonance i think cognitive dissonance is present in both of these cases so you cannot say that it is only one type of users who are affected by irrationality pretty much entire user base is affected by irrationality so we we can't do without thinking about that in our hmm. i think uh, i have like a nice small plug which is going to be a nice segue to the next question and uh, i like let's see if i can connect the dots here uh, while i was working in clear trip uh, it had a different philosophy altogether although the market share today is like yeah people know about it but uh, if you look at the type of work which we used to de- do there it was this pushing the envelope for this top 5 top 10% of the users making the experience better and better and frictionless as much as possible and it it's sort of implicit that we are like working for that happy use case further and making it much more frictionless which is sort of apple's route as well right uh, they're not not going wide but going deep how would you connect the this two three dots to like a value centered design because it's also end of the day we have to make business we have to we have to have growth Can so do you do you see any pattern there uh, you know what i mean right so i understand that you know there there are certain uh, there, there is a certain uh, way that you can play in the business by making sure that you you are kind of addressing a la cream de la cream kind of an audience uh and addressing issues for them be, be it let's say uh people who are uh, uh the 1% of india who is able to afford uh, or i don't know maybe even lesser who are, are able to afford flying uh by flight and making things uh, easier for them or uh, the very small percentage of people who are able to afford a macbook or an iphone uh, and making it really really great for them now there is there is a market no when i say when i say this i also mean i also put a disclaimer that over a period of time i have realized like these are outliers they are not like the mainstream so, absolutely yeah, yeah so continue yeah so yes these are these are outliers and uh, the the thing that uh, actually uh, confuses us as designers is that uh, we think that just because uh, the media is glorifying a lot of these uh, this is exactly what works whereas if you look at it uh, you know there the amount of people who uh, have a geo phone is going to be like much much larger than the number of people who are uh, ever going to have an iphone because just just by the sheer number of uh, people that are going to be there i mean once india the whole of india has got phones the number of the cheaper phones are just going to be so huge uh that it's just not going to uh, be there but the margins that you make on the higher uh, phone is much much higher so yes you can definitely make a 
uh, a good business case uh, over there but when you are doing that it is not just the product that you are selling because if you look at it today uh, let's say the chinese players like uh, maybe a oneplus or some of them have really come up with flagship phones that are maybe as good or better than uh, some of the flagship iphones that, that are out there but what is it that a company like an apple is able to differentiate uh, over uh, let's say a oneplus and this i think comes very fair fairly and squarely thanks to what steve jobs philosophy was he basically uh, did not he said that people don't buy a product they people basically buy the, the the why behind that product they they basically are buying the value of what you are selling so for example he he said you know they don't just make computers so they basically they're saying what is it that you make yeah yeah they we make computers but it is not just that computers that they are selling they're not selling computers they sell selling the thing that oh we are making products for the people who think different we are we are selling the value of you know you if you are buying an apple computer you are somebody who thinks different so this this way what you are actually selling to people is a value that you stand for and that is where i sort of come up with this whole concept of a value centered design now usually when when we look at design uh, we think about one i mean why 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 did design get uh, there as a uh, as a uh, as a function as a as a profession is basically to get profits into into the system basically i you get into a business so that you can make money and to enable you to make money you need to design a product and that is where design would come in so the whole function of design was to make sure that it made money for the person who owned that particular business and this has been more or less the way that design has always come into play you know uh there is a very uh, interesting story that i tell people about uh, uh a car that uh, ford had uh, created so basically in 1978 they had this uh, uh you know japanese cars were coming into uh, the us and these japanese car manufacturers like toyota and honda they had you know very inexpensive cars out there uh, so lee ayakoka who was uh, uh leading ford at that time you know he commissioned a car he said uh, you know it should cost not more than 2000 so that was that's the general guidelines that he put uh, around it he said it should cost no no, no more than 2000 it should be built in 25 months because we have to uh, get it done fairly quickly uh and uh, the, the with this basic guidelines the ford engineers actually built a car and the car was actually fairly uh, good looking because even steve jobs at one point uh, used to drive this car it's called the the ford uh, pinto so uh, the the car actually did fairly well but there was one problem with it you know whenever uh, there was a, a rear end collision the car would catch fire and uh, because of this uh, you know about about 200 people uh, lost their lives in accidents over about 5 to 10 years uh, period about 200 people lost their lives uh, in the ford pinto and uh, over a period of time the ford pinto was called one of the worst cars ever made by ford and this is not just you know old times and cars that we are talking about today even if you look at uh, boeing 
you know, they have this uh, 737 MAX uh, aircraft that was there. The 737 MAX aircraft was basically supposed to be in competition to the Airbus A320neo. But when they did that particular aircraft, what they figured out was uh, the uh, center of gravity was not correct. So it used to tilt in a certain angle. And they decided to introduce a software to uh, adjust for the tilt. Uh, but they did not tell the pilots that you know there is a software that is running behind, um, and uh, because of which the pilots really did not go. At one point of time, they really didn't, did not know what was happening because the plane started adjusting its lift when the pilots were doing it the opposite way, and this caused like I mean it's caused so many crashes because of which you know the whole uh, Boeing aircrafts had to be um, uh, had to be grounded. So these are cases where you you look at profit and look at design and then build everything around it. So this doesn't work. So if you just keep profit in mind and do the do the stuff, you cannot build good 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 designs. At the same time, so we said, okay, you know, we, we have to think about users come come user centered design. But you look you look at user centered design. What happens is uh, if you uh, take let's say Facebook for example or one of these social media uh, sites, for example, you may you make it so easy to use that suddenly people are addicted to it. You know, it's is it is it the right thing? I mean, now we have the entire social dilemma on Netflix, which talks about uh, the whole problem with uh, social networking and all. And it's basically saying that I have made the site so easy to use and so addictive that people start coming back to it. So again, when we are thinking thinking about it, uh, you're looking at users and you're looking at profits. That also really doesn't work. So, which is why the third part of it needs to come in, which is which is the value. You need to start by asking the question: Why are you building this particular product? So, at PhonePay, for example, uh, we do have something like a value statement uh, that we stand for. You know, uh, for us, uh, our pro product value statement is to offer every Indian equal opportunity to accelerate their progress by liberating the flow of money. No, it's a, it's a bit of a uh, mouthful, but it basically says that we we are very inclusive when it comes to growth. We don't look at that five percent of people uh, who really have an iPhone or who really have fly take flights and um, travel to far off countries for holidays. We actually think about the entire India, and we want to give them equal opportunity to accelerate the progress. And the way that we do it is by liberating the flow of money, because that is. That is the entire premise on which uh, PhonePay as a company has been built uh, of uh, making sure that transactions happen as easy as possible. So what that has happened, for example, what we did was uh, we looked at multiple cases. At one point, we said, you know, uh, India is a is a cash economy and we pretty much are the are pushing towards uh, the digital economy. Uh, but in India, even though it is a cash economy with about 1.3 billion people, there are actually only 2.5 lakhs ATMs in, in all of India. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. And most of these ATMs are in the urban areas. So if you go to a, a rural area, there are hardly any ATMs out there. And in fact, uh, you know, I was uh, in uh, Karnataka, one of the villages at one point in time uh, in Mungur. And uh, what I discovered over there that there was there was this bank and that Saraswat Bank had an ATM. And I thought you know I needed some money money and it was a Sunday, and I decided to go. The ATM was inside the bank, 
you know so you know because what happens is that when you have an atm outside the bank you need to have a guard to protect it but because it was a, a village they did not have resources to put a guard on that so what they did was they put the atm inside the bank building and sunday being a bank holiday the bank was closed so on sundays you can't use the atm the point of an atm is like an any time money right i mean sunday ko nahi milta hai that was 2.5 lakhs seems to be very less yeah yes that no? is all that there is actually so what happens is that most people go to banks stand in lines withdraw money and come out so that is how most of india withdraws their money so what we did at phone pay was we said you know we have all of these uh, merchants around us who use phone pay so we said we will enable every merchant to become an atm and withdraw help people withdraw cash for themselves so they could go you could scan a phone pay qr uh, get money from the merchant and uh, we basically enabled that entire thing where a merchant could say that this is a cash withdrawal and uh, give that money and tomorrow today i mean if a merchant want wanted to charge like a 1 rupee for a 10 rupee withdrawal you could do it i mean or you could you could say uh, uh, charge 2 rupees for a 100 rupee withdrawal whatever the rate that the merchant wanted to charge so it is it is a win win for both of them the the people are getting able to get cash out the merchants are able to use this as a service that they are providing so that way we are able to f- liberate the flow of money and we are doing this en masse for the whole of india so that is what uh, the phone pay atm uh, story was there and uh, within uh, a short period of time we had about 10 lakhs merchants signed up so within that short period we became like india's largest atm network uh, unfortunately covid happened and uh, the whole thing now is not uh, not going in the same same direction that we planned to but this is an example of how we started off with a value and then said okay let's solve for uh, a need that india has and then solve for solve for that so even at a um, mass level you can still start with a value and then solve for it whereas apple has been doing it for the high end and they have been doing it very well in terms of starting with a value of people who think different and i i'm offering you uh, tools for people who think different definitely apple does a great job at that but even when you do look at a mass market you could still do something similar mm-hmm. but is there so the the way you mentioned that user center design also has this addictiveness or or uh, the other one which you mentioned about is there any catch in value centered design uh see there is there is definitely a catch uh, when it comes to what is the value that you stand for you could definitely stand for a value which is not positive uh, mm-hmm. and that definitely is a huge catch and i i don't know how to solve for that without saying that okay you need to have a conscience uh, that uh, you as a designer would uh, want to develop uh, mm-hmm. which i think over a period of time everybody develops i mean i i uh, when i was at google i used to design for uh, used to be the designer on orkut when i was doing social media design at that point of time i probably did not think about all of these issues as being you know building for addiction i just said oh, i want users to come back so i'm going to go put this feature in i've seen uh, other people do it and it works very well i have used it it seems to work very well uh, so i that that conscience doesn't build till today now when i think about it and i say okay th- you know i know that i can put in this feature that is going to cause people to get variable rewards and pe- people are going to come in because they'll feel that oh this variable reward is going to come 
but at the back of my mind i know that i should not be doing it i should be doing it responsibly i should start thinking about that so that whole thing about responsible design is something that comes to you uh, after having been in the uh, system for some time and saying that you know it's profit is not everything you need sure. to start thinking about uh, ethics and moral values also and uh, make sure that that is also in, incorporated in design very nice very nice i mean i read this book uh, ruined by design and frankly it is it is once you read you understand where you are heading what are you doing it is good for introspection overall <laughs> uh, you spoke about um, responsible design you spoke about uh, the weak link angle so if you have to teach or if you have to give some tip or if you have to give some uh, suggestion because these words have a different connotation but generally thoda sa gyan dena hai agar uh for the upcoming designers as well after 12 15 years after mastering or after hoping to master some sort of a craft and design i have realized that economics is something very important which every designer should understand mm-hmm. so if i have to put you with the same question that uh if a full stack designer is supposed to learn economics um what would be your take and any other important subject uh which a designer should understand in parallel so uh one of the que- problems i have is this whole concept of a full stack designer and uh, i mean I, i won't tell you anything i i actually started off almost being a full stack designer so uh, in fact uh, started off as a copywriter who moved into design uh, and uh, started off like doing both art and copy uh, when i was in advertising so i was like a full stack uh, ad guy Uh, then moved on to doing programming and uh, doing design programming a little bit of copy doing full stack uh, uh, work when i was uh, you know there, this is very early on in uh, in 2000 so there are times when you could be full stack especially like in 2000 the web was really new uh, technology was nascent uh, i was able to uh, do a uh, lot of javascript lot of action script lot of html css uh and uh, at the same time do a fair amount of design and i could get away as a full stack designer uh, the truth is i i know object oriented pro- programming but i don't know algorithms i cannot be a great programmer whatever said and done so the whole thing about being full stack and being able to do all of this is is sort of like saying that okay there is uh, there is some or the other part of things that you are either weak in or there are other people who are better than you so the way i look at it is that it is good to be a generalist a generalist who understands what the various things are so for example when i was in uh, advertising i have done like i said uh, copy art dtp work uh, production work gone down to you know get artworks done and stuff like that but at the same time this was all from an idea that okay as a generalist i knew what what needed to be done i knew what four color printing was what cmyk thing uh, how how the uh, the actual artwork would get pre- prepared the same thing happened when when moving to uh, to the web understanding how the technology stack worked uh, understanding what what uh, uh, the uh, the communication part the layer was uh all of that is good uh but at the same time uh you need to say i am sort of a specialist on one part of it which is let's say uh if it is interaction design i say okay interaction design is what i 
specialize in. Uh, user research is what I'm strong on. Uh, visual design is what I can handle, but I would rather have somebody who is a very strong visual designer work with me. So from a from point of view of full stack, I would say uh, be a generalist in case you are working with somebody who is better than you in some other point of view. And there is some amplification that you can do on your skills. That is great. I mean, but at the same time, just because you are full stack, don't be the only person on the team who's doing both um, the visual design, the interaction design, the user research, uh, and the implementation and the programming, all of that yourself. It just is too much for one person. Hmm. Actually, it's sort of contradicts to my philosophy, but that's fine. It's, it's, it's great to understand the other perspective, but is it the same case uh, across, because if you're an earlier startup, you can't really afford to have so many types of specialties, but if you go to Google or Facebook or like more uh, specialized places where they can afford so many fragmentations, there's so many processes done. I'm sure like you, you know, the scene with lot of startups, right? Pura mara mari chal raha. Correct. So in that case, you can't really bucket so many people, right? Absolutely. So what I'm saying is that you be a generalist. So don't call yourself full stack because full stack kind of implies that I am really good on visual design. Oh. I'm really good on interaction design. I'm really good on user research. I'm, I'm a, I, I call myself a generalist. I can do a fair amount of user research. I can do passable visual design. Uh, interaction design is something that I am strong on. I understand a little bit of technology if need be. So there is a generalist uh, nature nature to the work that I do. Uh, so if somebody comes into the team who is a very strong visual designer, I let them make all the calls on visual design. On the other hand, if somebody comes and says, I'm a great user researcher, I make them, uh, let them do all the calls on user research. So when you are working in a startup, Having that generalist model is more important than being full stack. So that is where I am coming from. Uh -huh. Yeah. But the main question was, uh, so in that thing also, if you, if you want to study, uh, would you want to study uh, economics as a, uh, um, as a topic? I would, you know, I would not say economics because I, I have a bit of a problem with economics in the sense, you know, this whole thing about homo economicus, which is kind of like the, the rational human being kind of a thing that says, you know, um, everybody works towards profit and that is the way. Everyone is based on, everything is based on incentives. Correct, incentives. Yeah. And then uh, the whole thing is that incentives don't work. I mean, when, when we look at incentives, there are cases in which, for example, there was this uh, uh, study that Dan Arali did in uh, Madurai, where uh, he paid... Uh, uh, incentives for people to do work. So he said that uh, tried with incentives as low as uh, 50 cents to all the way up to $50. And you know, $50 in India is like huge money. And especially if you go to Madurai, it is like huge, huge money. So uh, what they, what he did was, if I if you give them 50 cents and the work that needs to be done is let's say a mundane job. If it's something as simple as saying, I need you to click this button and this is this is what you need to keep on doing. Uh, if you increase the incentive from 50, 50 cents to a dollar, the efficiency increased. If you increase it to $2, the efficiency doubled. So that, that thing happened. But the moment you started putting in a little more cognitive based uh, work into it, let's say you say, okay, this is going to be based on, uh, you have to solve a puzzle. And for this puzzle, uh, the faster you solve, I'm going to give you uh, $10 versus somebody who is going to get 
50 cents to somebody who's going to get $50. Now the person who's getting $50 performed the worst. So the, the more incentive that you give for a work that is cognitively oriented, the performance actually deteriorates. So economics is not able to uh, easily explain some of these things, which is why I personally love the field of behavioral economics, which I feel is more uh, in tune with how people behave. And if I were to recommend people to study anything, I would say uh, behavioral economics. That, that I think is uh, something that I absolutely say that people should, should be aware of. If that is not possible, then at least the whole idea of user psychology. Psychology itself, uh, I personally have this thing about, you know, Western psychology still has a lot more to learn, but at least it is better to know uh, your mind better than, you know, anything. And the reason I say Western psychology has a, has a lot more to learn is because I've done this, uh, this comparative psychology between uh, the Buddhist psychology and uh, Western psychology. And uh, seriously, the, the understanding of the mind that people had in India uh, ages ago is like far, far superior than what the West has today. So, uh, but even then, I would say psychology is much better a field for people, uh, designers to study and, you know, add to their arsenal, uh, whether you uh, think of yourself as full stack as, as a generalist or just as a designer. Quite interesting. So this brings me to actually my last question. Uh, and the reason why I said economics is because say like a wave of designers coming in from different schools across the country, uh, thinking about user first and thinking about, uh, user centered design and, uh, like, yeah, these budding designers, uh, frankly, I teach some places sometimes. So uh, they are either clueless about what's happening in the actual industry while the curriculum is designed, uh, with certain assumptions, uh, which are sort of outdated in certain context. So the question is, uh, like, what are you bringing in as a designer into the system? Is it somewhere leading to growth? Is it somewhere leading to a business impact? Is it somewhere leading to a value which the user is getting? So all that put together, like what has been your experience while dealing with these budding designers? Uh, and, and what would be your sort of take on where to bend the rules, where to go with the flow, where not to reinvent the wheel and yet provide value uh, and understand the largest scheme of things, right? You can't be adamant about certain design principles, which you have learned in design school, but they are nowhere in, in relatable even to uh, money or business. Right. Right. So if you have any, I mean, that's, right. that's my concluding question to. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think it's, it's a good question to uh, end up with. One of the things I see uh, today is that whenever I get um, uh, portfolios of uh, younger designers, I see a format. There's a case study. It start off, starts off with some basic idea of what, what it's going to be. There's going to be a user persona. There's going to be a journey map. Uh, there's going to be some high level wireframes that they say I've done it on paper. Uh, taken for uh, screenshots or uh, camera shots of that, it kind of reads as though somebody has been copying templates after templates after templates after templates. There is like, uh, it is a process that you know uh, people have been following, and I, I remember uh, you know this this whole talk by Natasha Jen from Pentagram where she talked about design thinking is bullshit, and uh, while I think that that she was being provocative in some sense, but 
there is a whole thing about you know theek hai samajh samajh gaya you you are using a process but what is your input on on that so i think uh, that is where we kind of say that you know people should be taught the process but they should also be uh, made to understand that it is not the output of the process that is important but the outcome that is important what usually happens is my output of the process is one persona my output of this part of the process is one journey map uh, the output of this part uh, is a wireframe i mean i don't care whether you come up with a journey map or you don't come up with a journey map the outcome is are you providing a better experience at the end of it is what matters and most of the time uh, in the uh, when when you look at the small things you look you forget the big picture and most of the time the designers forget the big picture and i think it is time that designers snap out of this and start looking at the big picture and start uh, solving for the big picture very very nicely put because uh just recently even i tweeted i don't tweet a lot but i was i tweeted saying that there are so many design schools and so many great dribble shots which are floating around so many great behance profiles but uh why is say state bank of india or government uh websites or or um, apart from probably food tech and couple of uh, other domains here and there everything is still not reach the yeah. sweden level so yeah. why is it so yeah. is it is all we have to blame as the other one or like we as designers also have some responsibility of uh, taking things up so, absolutely yeah. i think yeah it is time that we designers you know grow up and start looking at the big picture and solve for the things and i i don't want to say that oh, india should become the next sweden but mm-hmm. maybe india should have its own uh, own identity when it comes to design and Correct. not necessarily uh, scandinavian design but indian design yeah like, so true so true <laughs> cool i think this is a good note you want to add anything because it has been really really a wonderful experience uh, knowing your thoughts and i would connect with you again for maybe the buddhist philosophy angle because even i am inspired by that i've done vipassana a oh. couple of times so yeah <laughs> in fact the, in fact the dhamma.org Uh, right. the website um it has a app also like me and one of my friends uh, who was the head of design uh, head of product in book my show mm-hmm. uh, we have designed the vipassana app the main oh awesome awesome is, I... yeah it's not that great because it's it's scattered all over the world a lot right. of developers from korea and other places have designed developed it but yeah the the main library was given by me so i'm, I'm curious to understand that aspect of your life absolutely well. that's that's a that's a uh, topic that is very close to my heart so anytime uh, i'd love to talk on that <laughs> superb cool uh, we'll we'll conclude this thanks a lot once again and, thank you uh, kedar thank you thanks and that's it from today's gyan session catch us on itunes savan stitcher or any podcasting app you use do rate us on itunes and follow us on twitter facebook and instagram stay tuned for more gyan on audiogyan.com till then bye